Hello there and welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today we are talking about the 1997 Brendan Fraser classic, George of the Jungle. Of course, what else would we be talking about? I am typically one of your co-hosts, Alex Steed, though I will only be here in the introduction because you are lucky to be joined by Sarah Marshall, of course, Carolyn Kendrick, our beloved producer, and our great friend, friend of the show and a friend of Carolyn's and mine, Sarah Hubbard. But first, I just want to let you know that You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies, is made possible almost wholly by your support, by folks who follow us on Patreon and on Apple podcast subscriptions, folks who get bonus episodes as a result of that support. Thank you for everything you do. We appreciate you. And you get these bonus episodes. We talked last week about a uh, a possible August bonus episode where we discuss fictional characters and uh, why they resonate with us. Maybe talk a little bit about those characters, talk about a little bit about ourselves. That has gotten pushed. We're very excited to do that, but that has gotten pushed because our bonus episodes often are a place where we process (laughs) difficult feelings a little bit and grief often. Last time we did that, I talked about the passing of my stepfather. And this show is originally called Why Are Dads, where we talk about complicated dad feelings. And uh, Sarah very recently lost her dad. And we had a conversation about that shortly afterward for our next bonus episode. So we talk about that. We talk about big feelings. We talk about loss. We talk about grief. We talk about complicated feelings that occur when folks that we have complicated relationships with go. And it's a big, beautiful episode. I'm excited to share with you, but you get it for supporting us on Patreon. And when you support us on Patreon, it helps us pay producers, editors, etc., folks who make the show possible, all artists in their other lives and in this life too, I would argue. So thank you for supporting the show and thank you for supporting artists. We appreciate you. You Are Good is also made possible with support by Knack Factory, K-N-A-C-K Factory, a commercial and creative video content production company with offices in Portland, Maine, though they do work throughout these here United States. If you need that sort of work done, get in touch with the fine folks at Knack Factory. I want to let you know that this show is brought to you by Come As You Are. This was a sponsor that was listening to the show, thought, I love this show so much and I want to support it. We appreciate that. Come As You Are is the world's only worker co-op sex shop. It's anti-capitalist, no commission, no boss to hoard profits. They have no profit incentive so they can afford to be honest about sex products. They run North America's only sex toy recycling program, which is great. They try every product they stock and they only sell things that are actually good and not harmful. They have awesome core values, which you can find on their website. They are run by queer and genderqueer people. They were voted Toronto's best sex toy shop by Now Magazine consistently for decades. They've been queering sexuality for people of all sexuality, genders, orientations, etc., since 1997. Shipping is fast. It is discreet, even to those of us in the US of A. Folks can get 20% off their first order with coupon code YOUARGOOD. That's it. Come as you are. Get 20% off your first order with coupon code YOUARGOOD. Thank you so much, Come As You Are, for making this possible. We also have playlists that accompany the episodes that are, you know, inspired by the movie and inspired by our conversations. It's linked in the show notes. For those not in the know, George of the Jungle is a 1997 American comedy film directed by Sam Wiseman and based on Jay Ward and Bill Scott's 1967 animated television series of the same name. The movie stars Brendan Fraser, Leslie Mann, Thomas Hayden Church, Holland Taylor, Richard Roundtree, and John Cleese. 
And for people who are wondering what we're going to cover for the rest of the summer, uh, Superman next week with Fangirl Jean, very exciting, an amazing conversation. Stand By Me, it's going to be a page to screen episode with just Sarah and me. And uh, I'm excited to do that one. Perfect summer movie. Raiders of the Lost Ark with Amanda Smith. And then to close out the summer or to close out August at least, Thelma and Louise with our great friend Ryan Ken. I'm so excited to share that episode. Before we get into the show, I wanted to share a message we got from a listener. I'm just going to read the message and then I'm going to share some thoughts. We had a really nice exchange uh, with the person who sent it. I just want to share it with you in case it resonates with your experience. And Sometimes we get uh, some criticism that is well worth considering and uh, thinking about when we make future shows. And here is some of that. We got it from longtime listener Priya Chirayil. Here it goes. My name's Priya, long time first time, and I love your show. It's long been a cherished way to process my feelings about dads and daddies and all the characters in between. I wanted to reach out as a person who deeply loves the show to share how I feel your recent episode, Charlie's Angels, let down your listeners of color. The episode touches on the racism in the movie and in the making of it in a way that felt incredibly lighthearted given the seriously upsetting issues raised. Hearing three white or white passing, people discuss yellow face, brown face, and possible blackface. I'd say that wearing a black man's face is unquestionably blackface, and the reticence to call it that showed a lack of qualifications to discuss these issues critically. To discuss these things as flippantly as you did was really hurtful. I love and trust your podcast because I've heard you thoughtfully and sensitively approach issues that impact identities you don't hold before, and this was a failing in that regard. You came across as viewing the black, brown, yellow face in this movie as cringe as opposed to deeply harmful and incredibly painful, which it is to at least one brown viewer, yours truly. And to add insult to injury in an episode in which you touch on the latent racism in this film, in a segment in which Alex was specifically discussing how Tindiwe Newton declined the role because of the racism, he referred to the actress by a name she has publicly said is not hers, but a typo that has haunted her career for decades. What uh, Bri is referring to is I referred to Tindiwe Newton as Thandi Newton. I did not know this thing about the typo or about the mispronunciation. I'm really glad to know that now. I had never heard this and uh, I appreciate it. So thank you for pointing that out as well. It genuinely did not feel as though you'd considered how your words and your judgment of these issues would land for people of color. I do not believe that was your intent, but it was your impact. I love your podcast so much, and I really hope that this email serves only to examine your biases so the podcast is all it can be to us all. Love, Priya. So like I said, I love this email from Priya. We had a really great exchange after the fact. Um, I've apologized to Priya. I apologize to you if you felt the same way after listening to this episode. As I said to Priya, yes, absolutely. All of these points are correct. So one of the reasons that I said in the email uh, to Priya um, where I think that I missed the mark or where I think the show missed the mark structurally is we should acknowledge that in the introduction, acknowledge the gravity of use of black, yellow, brown face in the introduction, maybe point to some resources where some other folks who are much better equipped than I am at least have discussed these issues uh, in case you want to follow up. And just to let you know that that we don't believe that this is cringe. We do know this transcends into harmful, not to cringe, but to let you know that we're on the same page, even if it doesn't sound like that in the conversation. So 
so at least you hear it at some point and these things aren't harmful where you feel like you are being disregarded. So we're going to always try harder to do better. That's what we're always going to do. And I really appreciate this extremely loving and extraordinarily generous piece of feedback about how an episode felt to this one listener. And I imagine um, how it felt to others. So thank you so much, Bria. We really appreciate you. You, my friend, are good, as we say around these parts. Funny footnote to receiving this email from Priya and then sharing it with y'all along with our commitment to do better is, you know, we were like, well, we're going to cover Georgia the Jungle. Uh, maybe we should look at how other people have viewed this movie before we share it here, you know, giddily as fans. And I looked through a number of essays and of my favorites comes from a website called Orlando. Uh, Orlando is an independent platform focusing on the visual arts in its intersections with cultural criticism and sociopolitics. This essay on the racist history and the racist representations in Tarzan throughout the past century comes from Tony Warner, who is a diaspora historian and activist. He runs Black History Walks, a unique company who organizes walks, talks, and film screenings about the African history of Britain. He goes through and lays out the very negative and destructive and harmful history of representation in this series or in the Tarzan legend, so to speak. And he says, basically, the only possible exception in all of this is George of the Jungle, quote, starring Brendan Fraser, where black people were given some of the best lines and turned the stereotypes upside down, which uh, the Sarahs and Carolyn will talk about in their representation of the bad guys being the really dense, <laughs> too ambitious, but also stupid for their own good Americans. That's worth a read. I will link that essay in the show notes. All right, everybody. We're going to get into it. We're going to switch gears. Watch out for that tree. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Carolyn Kendrick. How's it going? Pretty good. I have my jello water. I'm about to talk to you about the greatest romantic comedy of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Which is? Well... <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about George of the Jungle, but I have written down in all my notations, George of Jungle. George of Jungle, of course. George Just Lucky, I guess. Oh, George Just Lucky, I guess. And who do we have as a guest? Hello, Sarah Hubbard. Double Sarah episode today. Hi, Sarah Squared. Sarah Squared. That's another good band name. We were just talking about good band names for all of us. Sarah Squared would be a good one. I love it. I love it. And I love George of Jungle because that's exactly what he would say. Sarah Hubbard is my best friend. We went to college together and we are bonded like no other souls can be bonded. And Sarah Marshall and I are also best friends from another <laughs> phase of life. And we are bonded like no other is bonded. And I'm so happy for you two to be meeting today so that we can talk about this wonderful movie. I'm just so excited about it. And the movie to which I presume all three of us are bonded. Yes. To yes. which we can't be bonded to any other movie. Because a lot of movies, there's like good parts, but there's mean surprises along the way. And this movie mm -hmm. just wants to take you up to an Ethan Allen treehouse and feed you passion fruit <laughs> yogurt. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the dream? <laughs> there's a lot of great fruit happening in this film. Like there's so much good food content that it, it doesn't linger on a lot, but there were a lot of moments where I was like, that looks amazing. Yeah, it's true. Totally. 
So Sarah Marshall, we'll have you do a synopsis here in just a second. But before we do that, I want to make sure Sarah Hubbard, can you tell us a little bit about you and what you do and different channels that you would want people to check out? Oh, sure. Well, I am a musician. I'm a violinist. I uh, play a little theremin here and there. What? <laughs> Whoa, woo! Um, That's that, awesome. was, that was a theremin impression. <laughs> yeah, I got that. She's a very good theremin player, I will say. I play with a number of different groups. I kind of am like a chameleon, much like you'd find in a jungle. <laughs> I <laughs> I play with a, a group called the Flowbots and do just kind of yeah a lot of different so if you check out sarah hubbard music or uh or my tiktok violin fairy uh you'll find me there easy to find yay amazing all right everybody go check her out okay so sarah marshall what is this movie about what's going on okay so i'll preface this by saying that i saw georgie of the jungle in the theater when it came out wow. in the 19th century, 1997. <laughs> I guess that was the 20th century. <laughs> in the 1900s. That's the way that you can say it where it sounds scariest. The 1900s, 1997. <laughs> and there are a lot of movies um, and even a lot of movies so far on the show where I saw it in the theater and I will remember like a scene or two from it. Mm-hmm. And this movie, I remember everything. I assume because mm-hmm. I was nine when I saw it and I feel like it's kind of perfectly tuned for a nine-year-old's sensibility yeah i understood everything like the whole thing is painted very broadly and explained in a way that a kid can understand and yet i also enjoy it more than a lot of movies for adults now that i watch it as an adult because i feel like i don't know there's like Movies now made for grown-ups explain things in a way that make me at least be like, I know that. Why do you think I'm dumb, movie? Mm-hmm. And this movie is like, hits an interesting sweet spot of being very easy to understand and very explicit about stuff, mm-hmm. but in a way that also, I think, respects that its audience has kind of a clever sensibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have a very intrusive narrator. <laughs> And we learned the story of George of the Jungle, who was lost when an airplane crashed in the heart of Africa. (laughs) We're making fun of the concept of the heart of Africa in the opening 45 seconds, which I appreciate. Mm -hmm. And he is raised by an ape. And then we cut to the present day, 1997, where Ursula Stanhope, played by Leslie Mann, is on a very fancy safari trip. And this is crashed by her fiancé. Lyle Vandergroot, I believe. Something like uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a great generic fancy person name. Mm-hmm. And when this movie came out, I most knew Thomas Aiden Church, who plays Lyle from Ned and Stacy, which was a show I loved to watch Ooh. on the USA Network. <laughs> so Lyle crashes Ursula's trip. He decides to take her to see the legendary white ape. And she is rescued from a lion who shows up by George of the Jungle, played by Brendan Fraser, who I'm sure we're going to spend the next hour talking about what we love about him and how much and why. Mm -hmm. And he rescues Ursula and takes her to his treehouse, and they begin to fall in love, although Ursula has not figured this out yet and won't figure it out until the end of the movie. George knows immediately. Mm -hmm. And he's counseled by his friend Ape, who raised him and is voiced by John Cleese, to throw a bunch of stuff in the air and puff off his cheeks to show (laughs) Ursula that he loves her. And that doesn't quite work, but then they 
run into Lyle in the jungle who shoots George. And we've already been told that people don't die in this movie. They just get, quote, really big boo-boos. <laughs> and so George is supposed he's like shot, but he just has like a little bandage on his forehead, which I really love. <laughs> yeah. And so Ursula takes him to America to get the finest medical treatment available for his forehead boo-boo. Mm-hmm. And basically then we have the second half of the movie is like, George is in the big city. We get to watch him do that. Ursula has to explain to her parents, who I could have sworn were played by the parents in Dharma and Greg, but this is a great example of the Mandela effect, which is not that the universe used to be different. It's just that like Greg's parents were so iconic that you Mm -hmm. can just fill them in for any other fancy parents of 90s media. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. But instead, we have Holland Taylor, iconic. Yeah, Holland Taylor. And... Matthew Perry's dad. Right. Can't do better than that. Oh my gosh. Oh my <laughs> Who gosh. played Joshua's dad on that episode of Friends. Yep. Mm-hmm. With with Joshua. Mm-hmm. If you know, you know. Mm-hmm. And then Lyle has been, he's in jail in the heart of Africa for uh, shooting George, but then he successfully gets out. Meanwhile, these poachers that he brought with him when he crashed the safari decide to kidnap Ape and make a Vegas show based around a talking ape and everything culminates when George gets a talking to from Holland Taylor about how he needs to leave Ursula alone because he's not good enough for her because he's jungle trash. And at the same time, the Tukey bird comes to tell him that he needs to rescue ape from the poachers. And so everybody converges back at the George of jungle stomping grounds and (laughs) justice is done. Oh, and then Ursula shows she follows him to tell him that she loves him because she realizes that she loves him and everything works out. And Lyle accidentally marries, I think, a gorilla. Mm-hmm. And then they have a wonderful wedding, which when I was a kid, I guess thought looked like the most fun party. And I still do. The end. Yeah. And then they end on the best song and everybody's dancing and it's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> we get this like final shot that's just. Oh, right. Yeah. Lion King homage. Yeah. Up mm-hmm. on Pride Rock. It's great. And then we get another song and we get to see <laughs> Ape sing My Way in Vegas. Yes. Which is simply the best part. That's actually funny because when I was looking back on this movie, I think this is the first live action film I remember seeing in theaters. Oh, wow. I know. And I actually do remember that so vividly. And like other bits and bobs from the movie, but the end, the I did it my way bit just is like what what stood out to me as like a four-year-old or five-year-old watching this movie for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how could it not, you know? Oh, yeah. I remember just feeling in the theater, just like utter bliss and just being like, ugh, I have been so entertained. And then they brought in that little post-credits thing and it was like, ugh, this movie gave so much and Mm -hmm. asked for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Regarding what you're saying earlier, Sarah, about the movie's high esteem of the viewer, you know, Mm. it's very clear in all of its messaging And yet it's not patronizing, though. That's kind of the fun thing about it, which is what, you know, a lot of modern adult movies are 
I find a lot of exposition to be very patronizing because I'm like, yes, I know what's happening. You definitely do not have to tell me. But this movie spells out what's happening, but in a way that you're like, oh, please tell me what's happening. I want to know, you know? Mm. Yeah. There's something kind of comforting to me as as much as the narrator is very intrusive there are a lot of moments of comfort where the narrator does like with the line about nobody dies they just get really big boo-boos the narrator Mm. does seem to hold our hands in a way that it can be a little corny at times but it, it doesn't make me it actually i felt like my younger self would have really appreciated that it doesn't make me feel like alienated from violence mm. because like i think about years later going in to see tarzan and mm. oh sure like that movie gets really dark really fast in the first like song they're just trying to build a tree house <laughs> <laughs> and like like parents dead I, the one for me was the little babe well i don't want to get into it, but the little baby gorilla unfortunately doesn't make it very far and right yeah. oh my god uh yeah but like even you know we don't have there's nothing too gritty about george's origins like i think they actually explicitly say in that amazing mm-hmm. by the way the opening credits that are just the most 90s animated mm-hmm. colorful bombastic and like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they look for George and they couldn't find him and that was that and I don't know maybe maybe there's like a grieving couple of parents there I'm sure but yeah but nobody even died on the plane crash they're like everybody's just looking for George and then they never find him it's really a miracle Which, by the way I will say why my what I know that this is just like a story and we like we really shouldn't be taking it like super duper seriously but it is hilarious to think that the writers of George of the Jungle were like, okay, we're going to write a story. Baby gets lost in the tree and an ape, a talking ape finds him and raises him (laughs) before any like Tanzanian or any kind of African family would find this baby. Like as if there are no no people Mm -hmm. in this area, which there obviously are because there's like safaris coming in and out. Yeah, this (laughs) movie does get a little pith helmet, I think. But in a way that, you know, I was bracing myself for the worst, rewatching it. And it really didn't mm-hmm. it hit where I thought it was going to, like, it could have been a lot. Uh, and, and in some ways does try mm-hmm. to subvert that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of the jokes are on Lyle and they're on Holland Taylor. Yeah. You know, the joke is never on the people who are like hosting the safari or the guides, I guess, the safari guides. Yeah, and right. And the joke is on Lyle for presuming that they don't know how a camera works right Right. exactly (laughs) exactly yeah and it's also interesting we talked about this when we did our mummy episode last summer this was the movie that made brendan fraser catch the attention of the director of the mummy Mm, mm -hmm. and helped him get that role we talked in that episode about how like there is this kind of late 90s of its time ridiculousness of being like, mm-hmm. what about a fun action movie for the kids about Americans who like meddle around in the Middle East and make a ton of mistakes, but ultimately it all works out. Yeah. And that's the movie. Right. And then they kiss on a camel. <laughs> <laughs> and here they kiss in a treehouse. It's true. This this is sort of that, but like copy paste into the jungle. Speaking of the opening sequence, it feels like Disney kind of adopting a Nickelodeon sensibility because I remember as a kid feeling like Nickelodeon was like much cooler and like irreverent and that was their reputation to me as a fourth grader yeah this was very like Kablam Nicktoons colorful Mm -hmm. Uh, Kablam was so good yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, the animated sequence kind of reminds me of like Wild Thornberries esque a little bit too. This felt like a good era for jungle, like throwing people into locales with animals that they weren't used to seeing, uh, specifically like Americans that like, you know, wouldn't be used to seeing snakes and lions and stuff mm, like mm-hmm. this was an era of like the Rainforest Cafe was big. The wild thornberries were big. So I feel like they were really like there was a big market for that at the time. Right. We're learning about our environments and science class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was also surprised that this was a Disney movie. I had forgotten that because one of the questions I had prior to watching was I was like, what is the connection between Tarzan and George of the Jungle? Are they like totally separate enterprises? Are they like a bug's life and then the other one? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know? Right. I think that's really weird that they were made by the same company because normally you would have like a you know, American tale and great mouse detective type situation. Right, right, exactly. And so I did a little Google before this and I was like, surely, (laughs) (laughs) surely there's, but it turns out that George of the Jungle was originally a cartoon in the 60s, which was a a Disney cartoon and it was a spoof of Tarzan. Well, (laughs) I actually, I don't think it was, because I did a little research, I don't think it was Disney. I think it was Ward and the guys that made Rocky and Bullwinkle. Oh, no shit. Okay, tell us more. Well, I went ahead and watched the pilot. Nice. Oh, wow. If you go ahead and watch it, you can see where they a lot of the source material stays true, but like the movie feels like an improvement. Oh, cool. Ideas are more developed here. But yeah, basically, George, we don't even get the origin story. He's just in the jungle. Um, yeah. Ursula is named Jane, which maybe mm. is like really just lifting from Tarzan and Jane. Mm-hmm. Shep is there, the elephant who is referred to, like mm. they still refer mm-hmm. to him as the peanut loving puppy. Poochie. Poochie, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So then he just sold that to Disney or they they just sold that? I would assume that Disney over the years would possibly even just organically buy the holding company and just be like, hey, we own this now. Do you want to do anything with it? Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if it was like some kind of synchronicity because when did Tarzan come out? I want to say like after this, but not that long after. Like 1999, I think. That was going to be my first (laughs) guess. Yeah, or like 2000 maybe, but like. And that's really funny that they would have these two similar, but I guess they were like, well, they'll be out far enough apart that it won't be competitive. Or maybe they're like, George the Jungle made money. This is good news for our Tarzan project. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the weird thing to me is that like George of the Jungle is like a spoof of Tarzan, like, and Mm -hmm. of the sort of Edgar Rice Burroughs-y, like the cartoon was obviously, Mm -hmm. and, and therefore the movie. But like, I don't know how many kids would have clocked that George of the Jungle was a cartoon. Well, first of all, if they even knew about the cartoon right. to begin with. And if they could have clocked, like, this is a Tarzan. Because to me, I wasn't familiar with, like, Johnny Weissmuller, right? That's the guy who played Tarzan in all <laughs> yeah. the, like, old, old movies. Um, the, the great swimmer. And you, like, once your swimming career is done, you're like, well, I'm going to be Tarzan now. <laughs> that was what the 1930s were like. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's interesting because usually you would think that you would have to have like the baseline of understanding of like what the concept is and then you make the spoof. But I guess, you know, the people who were developing George of the Jungle like already were familiar with Tarzan. So they were just like, whatever, kids will catch up. (laughs) You know, I feel like people like from what I remember, I feel like as a kid, I understood Tarzan as a concept because he's one of those characters like Jason who's just become bigger than the stuff he's in. Mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I understood that it was like a Tarzan parody and I was like, that's fun. And also I think like, I don't know what 
how this works now, like I'm sure that this apparatus is stronger than ever, but just using different technology. But it's really interesting to me in retrospect, because when I was a kid, I was just like, this is just how the world works. And now looking back at it, I'm like, this was very smart on the part of Disney, because as a kid, I watched the Disney Channel Mm -hmm. a lot. And what the Disney Channel was, was like they had their own content, but they also were doing a lot of marketing for other Disney content. Mm -hmm. So they would be like, come Mm -hmm. watch this hour long documentary about the technology behind the Disney movie that's coming out this summer. So you can get really excited about seeing it because you're exposed to the idea of it constantly on our channel that we run. Yeah, Disney (laughs) Channel surfers. Yeah, oh my God, the surfers. Yeah, Yeah. totally, oh my gosh. Yeah, so Sarah Hubbard knows a ton about Disney in general, and I we always kind of joke that if I ever have kids, <laughs> I will send them to Disney World with Sarah Hubbard, and I'll go do something else. But <laughs> I have like volunteered to be that person for friends of mine with kids. No one has taken me up on it yet, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is like it's a special skill. Oh, I, yeah. I'm not sure I'm there yet, but I feel like I'm in I'm in training. I'm building the emotional resources I need to be at that point. Yeah, totally. I just became an aunt, so I'm like, I'm ready to step into that role too. I'm like very like, give me no, that sounds weird to say, like, give me your children. <laughs> like I'll <take laughs> give me to- your children. <laughs> but you got you need like the utility belt of like sunscreen snacks <laughs> right sun visors just like just start prepping now for like your missions yeah exactly it's it's like whole like tactical armor but it's just kitty snacks yeah one thing that i do love about disney and also about just children's media in general is that i think that this movie is so good at teaching kids what like themes are and Hmm. what to look out for and to just give you like such a basic strong idea of like what is a villain what do you look Hmm. for in a villain when you're like watching media what signs can you keep an eye out for to know that that person's a villain you know and foreshadowing stuff like that and I think that they do that really really well with Lyle because he's just Hmm. such a zero the entire time (laughs) Absolutely no redemptive characteristics. Same thing with Holland Taylor, except for when mm-hmm. she dances with the ape at the wedding. At the very end. <laughs> she loves ape. I think they totally hit it off. I was thinking about this. Yeah. 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 I could see them maybe like getting a timeshare eventually in like Boca Raton or something. Or like they'll have like a Zoom book club. She's like, so ape, this week we're talking about forks over knives. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. But I just love how that movie does this where it's like, okay, ditch the zero, get with the hero. Here's the hero. Hero. They even say like, don't worry, he gets shot, but he can't die because he's the hero, you know? Like while looking at my notes before this call, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like not only is this movie a rom-com for nine-year-olds, I would argue, similarly Mm -hmm. to The Parent Trap, which we also talked about last summer, vertical Mm -hmm. integration. But (laughs) it's also totally like a great er Hallmark movie because the whole premise Mm -hmm. of every Hallmark, Mm -hmm. a lot of Hallmark movies, there's varieties, but like I would argue the most iconic Hallmark movie, Varietal, which gave it structure to Christmas Town, the movie I forced oh, yep. Carolyn to watch when she visited me last Christmas, oh is goodness. woman is dating shitty guy, goes to a rural location, meets a guy who's perfect and extremely available, and then falls in love with him. Extremely minor conflict. 
they kiss in the town square the end merry christmas yeah, yeah. that's so funny because i can think of like three other christmas movies where that is the just any movie that's what christmas is about dating a shitty guy and then suddenly the guy of your dreams is there at the mysterious toy store in the small town where your car breaks down <laughs> well one of the things that feels so notable too is how much uh ursula is trying to get away from lyle like oh yeah. she says at the beginning like she's like well, how did you find me it doesn't seem yeah. like she wants him around at all. No. It's a very why are they together <laughs> relationship. And then when you meet her parents, you kind of begin to understand like, oh, this might be Holland Taylor's like machination to yeah. create this engagement and create this couple. But yeah. Right. It is interesting, Sarah, what you said about an extremely available guy. What guy is more extremely available than a man who has literally never met another woman? <laughs> <laughs> I'm slapping my thigh. That's what my response to that. And that first encounter, because the idea of a female human is so foreign to George that right, he yeah. keeps calling Ursula fella and is shocked to learn <laughs> she has breasts and like is just like totally at odds with what is happening. They're like pecs. Yeah. But softer. And they're a multi-tool. Multi yeah, multi <laughs> Swiss army pecs. What are the Swiss doing with that army? They're neutral. That's a great point. So that's a classic bathroom reader joke. Well, that's a thinker right there. <laughs> this is the kind of quote you memorize so you know how to start a conversation with other sixth graders when you can't oh. think of a better way to do it. Oh, gosh. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I also love that when she finally wakes up after passing out, when Leslie Mann with her 90s eyebrows wakes up, um, <laughs> the narrator goes, after a night of feverish fantasies. <laughs> <laughs> the narrator's great. Like, can can we agree that, like, the voice of the narrator is, like, just hitting a perfect mark of just, like, campy, but it's also got this real, like, sort of booming, like, old-time radio quality that I... Because it's, like, you have to be able to mm -hmm. embody the thing you're making fun of in something like this. Totally. Yeah. And he's doing, like, the 30s newsreel sort of yeah, spiel, which I really like. Yeah, that's what it's like. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that this... About the campy thing... Because this movie is definitely very campy. And part of the reason that I am hosting this episode and not Alex is because very early on in our relationship, I suggested that we watch George of the Jungle together. And he scoffed at me. <gasps> Can you believe it? Everybody's oh. gasping, which feels very out of character for Alex, it right? It does. Yeah. 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 Right. It's like, why would George of the Jungle inspire some of his only elitism <laughs> i know right <laughs> well did he explain okay so he's kind of given me the same response to george of the jungle that he's been giving me to stranger things so <laughs> which is he's like i was a kid in the 80s it's just too inaccurate yeah basically <laughs> he's like if i want to be nostalgic i have other things to be nostalgic about which is totally fair and alex and i are 11 years apart so we have very different ideas of like what is comfort to us in media i also share alex's main or one of the main objections to it which is that it's just too long like the amount of time you have to sink watching stranger things you could literally Learn how to play the lute, arguably. <laughs> 
That's fair. That's very fair. And I think that's one of the reasons I like it is because like I have no concept of the 80s. Because you already play a bunch of instruments. <laughs> like, I don't even need to know how to play the loop. Georgia the Jungle is like a tight 90 minutes, right? Or True. Is it yeah, totally. It is. It is very tight. So what's that about? They don't make movies like this anymore. I will say they really should, but they don't make movies no. that are like this feel good and this compact like a tight ice cube that you just suck on god that sounded so weird but <laughs> no i love it it is a tight ice cube um, but wait is he is alex's main thing the nostalgia thing for this too or is there another george of the jungle thing oh yeah so i think it's that he just has no connection to it and so therefore was maybe like he's yeah. like if i want to feel that way i have other things that will make me feel that way mm. which is fair like sort of like feel good like the sort of happy romantic so. comedy feeling okay i think so um and i think he also maybe has fallen into that well i don't know maybe he'll defend himself once he hears this episode he'll do an addendum and be like this is what i was really saying i was misquoted and right. i'm excited for it <laughs> Well, he did that with the with the Titanic thing where you were like, Alex didn't understand that at the end it's Rose going to heaven. And we were oh, like, right. what? Yeah. Totally. How could it be? And he yeah, there was a rebuttal. So, yes, yes, totally. OK, so I will I'll allow him his rebuttal for sure. <laughs> but I think it was that like, you know, we've talked in the past about Hook and about other, you know, kids movies that are like very campy and like they're not necessarily accepted as like high art or anything. And that's not what their intent tended to be. Right. And so I think maybe his first interpretation of George of the Jungle, I don't think he had any impressions about it. And so there was nothing for him to grab onto to feel positively about. And for whatever mm -hmm. reason, he just like couldn't see that it was amazing <laughs> I, I really blame this on him not being a little girl at the yeah, time that this movie sure. came out I think that's important I just remember the marketing for this movie around this time like and I, I was mm. very young but it was just a lot of slapstick mm. and there's mm -hmm. there's so much more heart to this movie although there are I think about the final showdown is like it like no holds barred all slapstick that goes on for a long time mm -hmm. <laughs> actually it's a little much for me yeah. it was for me too i was kind of like okay i'm gonna look at my phone actually kind yeah. of doing this part <laughs> but i would like to make the argument and i this is my selling point for this movie if you're listening and you're not already a george of the jungle evangelist is that if you're in the mood for some kind of rom-com if that's what you want like this is probably better than most things made for adults in the 90s because it is lacking a lot of the toxicity mm. that you get when you try and watch a 90s rom-com where like often you're like trying to have a good time but it's like you're eating an entire cake made from Splenda. Ooh, Nothing against yeah. Splenda, but like that sounds bad, right? Well, that was the 90s. <laughs> it's like, yeah, totally. That was the 90s in a nutshell. Yeah. We we're like, we keep discovering these new artificial sweeteners that change the world. Do they still taste terrible and cause benign tumors in lab rats? Yes. <laughs> that's not important. <laughs> Let's not talk about it. But it's interesting that you say that, that it kind of lacks the toxicity because why is George of the Jungle not toxic? Because he's not surrounded by other men. <gasps> mm, oh. Yeah. Very interesting. Do you love that moment when he talks about embarrassment? Oh, God. I could cry just thinking about it. I know. It. Yes. And he talks about, like, all the things that could qualify him for feeling, like, quote-unquote mm -hmm. stupid. 
and Mm -hmm. like falling down and running into trees a lot and yet he doesn't and he doesn't feel like he should feel shame or embarrassment Mm -hmm. and i just think that's such a beautiful moment it like oh i agree and does and then does he say like something good always happen right after or something like that (laughs) george just lucky like that Oh my gosh. It's so sweet. It's so, so, so sweet. Oh my God. Also, okay, now the real part has begun where we're just cooing over George. I'm happy we're here. So, also (laughs) the part where he has the alligator tooth necklace and Ursula's like, oh, did you kill it? And he's like, no, alligator have toothache. George Mm -hmm. pulled tooth. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, I would never kill the alligator. So pure. I was, I would only help the alligator. Yeah. It's also, so they're like, this is kind of an interesting theme in 90s movies, I think, and in Disney movies, because we have this and Jungle to Jungle, mm. which I hope you guys remember, with Tim Allen. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. It was on the Disney Channel a lot. It's Tim Allen, and it turns out he has this, like, son that he never knew about, whose mom, who I think is Joe Beth Williams, raised him also in a jungle, I guess. And so he takes him to the city. And it's just like George the Jungle, but it's with a cute tween boy and he meets a cute tween girl. And mm. he eats, I think, Martin Short's very expensive aquarium fish. <laughs> <laughs> and then replaces them with like fish he caught in a lake, which is a very sweet scene. Mm. But right, because, and then we get George at the engagement party for Lyle and Ursula, which she just like brings George to because Lyle is unavailable because he's in jail. And <laughs> it's like all these toxic bachelors are talking to George, and it's just like wonderful to watch him have no idea what they're saying. Right. Yeah. And then also the same, you know, like he doesn't have any clothes when he gets there. So he's, <laughs> I will say, Leslie May, Ursula's character has one downfall, which is that she is, quote, pretty conservative about gender roles because yeah. she's yeah. wearing a dress. I hope that the narrator was just misinformed about that. That's, I hope but so you know, too. you never know. Yeah. But maybe she loosens up about that when she moves to the jungle. It's true. That has an effect on people, apparently. But yeah, George looks great in her little sundress. And it's so interesting to see the ways in which Ursula is obviously caught between both worlds. Mm -hmm. Because there's so much of the... Like, she's so free around George and begins, like, in the jungle. But the moment that she gets back to the concrete jungle of San Francisco... (laughs) She's almost embarrassed of some of the things that he's doing, and she's trying to, mm, I don't want to say cover for him a bit, but, like, when he wants to just let out a George yell in the car, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's hard for her to to let go of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A lot of ways that we, like, I feel like in our own lives, like, you know, because every family has their own language in a way, the way that they communicate. Mm -hmm. So trying to interface between what your partner would say versus what your parents would say and finding the middle ground is like a really, it's difficult territory. Totally. Yeah. And I also think that she comes to a good decision to just leave that all behind because at a certain Mm -hmm. point you have to realize like, okay, my parents, I'm sure they're they're doing their best because I think most people are, but this is not what's good for me. So I just have to leave this behind and I have to go live in the jungle with my hot, 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 hot husband. Hot, <laughs> hot, oiled up. He's very oiled up. He's, he's, he's there's very a lot. oiled up. Yeah. You know yeah. what I love is that there's a scene where we see Ape in the kitchen and they have eggplant. And I was like, where'd they get that eggplant? And like <laughs> Ape just has to be gardening. They have some big garden somewhere where they're growing all kinds of stuff. Well, we do get a scene where Shep, I think, 
either crashes into or pees right. on the roses. So there you go. Right. He's growing yeah. veggies as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ape is very posh. Yeah. Very posh. We very never get posh. an explanation for kind of, you know, where he's learned and like where he finds a lot of these things. But I don't think we need one. Yeah. Maybe he used to live in the London Zoo. Oh, <laughs> <Ooh>, layers. <laughs> I wish instead of George of the Jungle 2, which we got with different uh, actors, mm. I would have loved to see a George of the Jungle 2, but it's Ape's backstory. <laughs> I would love to see, well, I would love to see that. I would also love to see This is 40, but with the characters in George of the Jungle. Oh, yeah, that would be really nice. Speaking of which, so right before, <gasps> right before we got in this call, I watched an interview on the Busy Phillips show with Leslie Mann and Brendan Fraser. And Sarah Hubbard, I was wondering, did you watch it? You watched it. I did watch it. Okay. Oh, God. I'm wondering if maybe you could describe this interview. <sighs> so Leslie is um, talking to Busy about how she had a crush, um, really more than a crush. Like she was in love with Brendan Fraser while filming George of the Jungle and how many of the scenes in that film were like bringing her to tears because they were just mm-hmm. so real for her. And it, it like culminated in this really cute story where every every morning Brendan would give her a kiss <laughs> before they would like, which is, I, I don't know, like, it seemed yeah yeah a a flag was raised for me there too but it seemed like she was into it so i was like i'm just gonna go with it i think that's what they do in canada Mm. is he canadian (laughs) i think he's like somewhat canadian so he's entitled (laughs) to have a kiss okay (laughs) just like a touch of canadian (laughs) he he went to kiss her and she had been eating oatmeal and had some (laughs) still in and around and on her mouth uh and it was a little awkward, and then he never kissed her again. And, like, how tragic. Never eat oatmeal. That's the moral. At least not around your crush. Oh, my gosh, right? Yeah, I know. It's, I guess not really an aphrodisiac. But <laughs> Busy then brings out Brendan Fraser to, like, have this reunion. And, I mean, the chemistry is so there. It's it's Palpable, the most magic. Sure. It's intense, dude. You're just like, should we be watching this? Should yeah, they just, they should just go to a wine bar and just, like, you know, touch feet for a while. Right. Listen to Still Crazy after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> when Leslie turns to him and, like, like, with their body language, oh, it's... And he's got this beautiful bouquet of peonies. But, like, perhaps the sweetest gift that he brings out for her oh is gosh. the loincloth but he doesn't call it a loincloth in the movie as you recall it's called a butt flap naturally mm-hmm. he brings out for her from the film and it's that like leopard print yeah and it's framed too which and is it's framed. so beautiful and this is a recent interview i think post the 2014 me too sexual accusations came out that brendan made so i think it's it's in the new brendan fraser renaissance mm. that we're we're getting this interview which i think is interesting uh but yeah so and then also in this interview brendan also says that he was definitely like in love with her at this uh, like during the filming of the movie and so i am here to posit that the lyle all along was judd apatow <laughs> <laughs> absolutely tracks i think so too yeah. It's funny too though because they do talk about how much Judd is in on this. Right, yeah. In the interview and that he's like, "Yeah, 
I think that Brendan Fraser should just come and marry my wife or something. Like it's uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> what if he's just like a very secure person? All indications to the contrary. Yeah, that would be nice. Because I wouldn't let Brendan Fraser hang out with my wife. I would. I mean, I would. I wouldn't be totalitarian about it, but I wouldn't. Yeah. I don't know. I would be stressed. Yeah. Is he stressed? How does Kid, how how well is Kid Apatow sleeping? That's all I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. Anyways, some other like very funny, just little one-off jokes that I wanted to mention before we get into mm-hmm. more of it is that I love the line when lyle falls in the massive elephant poop and then the narrator says bad guy falls in poop classic (laughs) (laughs) and then we get the whole it's it feels like a mel brooks joke the whole we're gonna all laugh and throw our heads back like yes i love that this movie does feel very mel brooksy now that you say that there's lots of that in there yeah i was just gonna say it does feel like this is to to Tarzan and that genre as Spaceballs was to Star Wars <laughs> yeah. and and Star Trek. Yeah. It's very and like the same sort of brand of jokes and I don't know, very enjoyable to me. Yeah, that's a great point. And yeah, you can't really probably make a spoof without referencing mm-hmm. some or you know deriving some of your sense of comedy from Mel Brooks because he's the original spoof master, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also feel like maybe that answers a question of why it doesn't feel condescending because it's like honoring the spirit of true silliness, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. just kind of is the same from childhood to adulthood if you can continue to access it. Mm, for sure. Yeah, that definitely doesn't go away. Um, the other, <laughs> just I want to have a little moment of spotlight for the best friend in San Francisco, mm. Leslie Man- Ursula's best friend. I have a question and is this like a, a Mandela effect thing as well that mm. best friends in movies are always eating lollipops they do eat lollipops like, what's that about mm. it's to show that they're horny i assume because oh, best right. friends are horny that's where i thought you were going if they're always horny because that's definitely the case yeah because the main character isn't allowed to be horny in the 90s so she has a horny best friend to show that horniness is justified but we can't allow the main character to be horny however generally yeah great point my favorite example of this is christine ebersole in thief of hearts a Mm -hmm. very terrible thriller that i have seen 10 times that she was in the same year that she was in amadeus Mm -hmm. and she's like she's a great horny like (laughs) brilliant actress i think she's won a tony great horny best friend as well amazing the line where they're watching it's at the party and they're watching George running around with a horse oh. and they have the line where they're like, Ursula's sort of like, well, he's not conventionally brainy in a sort of lawyer way. And I sort of thought it was going towards like, oh, he's got this big heart and he is so, but the line that they use to describe him, her best friend says, yeah, he's got what intimate sensual what what was the sensual intelligence oh my god what which isn't that what you want out of a man or anybody you know or anybody i think that's what people are really talking about when they talk about himbo energy it's Mm. not you know i think that there's a connection between sensual intelligence well maybe not this is a working theory but there's a connection there between sensual intelligence and himbo energy. Mm. We're figuring it out. Yeah, we're having a salon yeah. <laughs> on the issue. We could definitely run some tests and like, you know, see, you know, 
get some blood work done and see how the sensual intelligence lines up <laughs> yeah. in your average garden variety himbo. There's also like a lot of like pretty sexual jokes for the fact that it's a kids movie. Oh yeah. In the nineties. Like mm-hmm. there's that joke where he comes out of the shower or whatever and he's totally naked and then they put the book in front of him and the best friend is like ogling at his penis. You know? <laughs> yeah. And isn't she yeah. like now I can see why he's the king of the jungle oh, yeah. or something like oh, yeah. yeah. that. Like, you are horny, horny broad. Right. And a lot of lines like that at the party with the sort of toxic dude bros that are chatting up George and Mm -hmm. they talk about coconuts and, like, he's clearly just, he's just talking about a fruit he eats in the jungle. I don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Oh, gosh, and we haven't even mentioned the big Bay Bridge scene, which is the most iconic scene for me. Because I lived pretty close to the Bay Bridge when I was little and so to see the bridge was like kind of a big deal for me Mm -hmm. but the stunts on that are really really shockingly terrifying and great and I I need to do a little bit more research because I don't really know what was going on Mm -hmm. but I do know that Brendan Fraser has said that this was a really physically difficult movie to do. And I don't know Mm. if he did all of his own stunts. I would be shocked if that was really him on top of the Bay Bridge. But why is it that we have a CGI elephant, but then there's like, (laughs) that's not a CGI person, like with this, you know, helicopter shot on top of the Bay Bridge. You know what I mean? Yeah. I hope it was a stunt person having a great time. I guess watched Cliffhanger, which I'd never seen before. Mm. And that movie has someone going between two airplanes oh, wow. that are like flying through the air at at least it's supposed to be 15,000 feet in the movie. I forget if that's what was really happening, mm-hmm. but it's like, let's see if we can do this thing. Nobody's done it before. Wow. And they had to do it in the U S even though they shot most of it in Europe because no one would ensure it if they shot it there. That's fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about that scene, Sarah? I actually, I love it for me. I wonder if this sort of imprinted on me as a child. Cause I was a big climb on things kid Mm. jungle gyms anything uh lots of ropes and like ladders and you know anything that i could get my hands on so watching george Mm. scaling the bridge i feel like i'm like oh i know this should set off the fight or flight like dopamine whatever um adrenal gland that tells me like this person's gonna die this is so scary but it actually was just Mm. such a thrill to watch that oh that's interesting cool so daring too i know because like i had totally forgotten about this scene until we watched it or rewatched it but the saving somebody because in the in the movie to the audience he saves a paraglider a parachuter who's like gotten caught i think it's a parachuter yeah yeah, yeah. Or skydiver hmm. skydiver skydiver oh wow and like that it's kind of nothing to him is sort of amazing it's just such a such like a, a little like yeah this is we do this in the jungle all the time yeah to swing or not to swing yeah and then the very very final moments of the movie where like the final fight scene like he does like the very big last swing when they're back in the jungle mm-hmm. and it lasts for seemingly 12 minutes that he's like riding <laughs> through the jungle it's so long but it's really interesting to me that they never establish why he runs into trees like why he's bad at that but good at other stuff which i think is really funny it's a good point not that like you need like you just don't need an answer for that but it's funny like why <laughs> right he's always bracing too he like knows it's going to happen a, a, right on more than one occasion hmm. so it's sort of it's not an accident 
Yeah, I know. Interesting. Well, I think it represents his open heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, yeah, that's right. He's willing to take a leave and he's willing to get hurt even if because good things are going to happen right after. Uh, I love George. And I think not coincidentally, like that, I noticed this about he and Ursula are really the two characters that don't use cynicism or sarcasm when they communicate mm. with one another and mm, everybody yeah. else. Even Ape to George is hmm. making sometimes hmm. it's, you know, they obviously have a very close fraternal kind of paternal relationship i guess Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like even then ape is still sometimes undercutting george and undercutting his intelligence and not in a cruel Mm -hmm. way but it it doesn't Mm -hmm. always come across Mm -hmm. quite as vulnerable and sincere as george and ursula's communication is yeah absolutely yeah it's a great point well what would you two say that the theme of this movie is and what would you pitch to other people that you you think that people would get out of it if they watched it i feel like the big thing i got was kind of from the top down was just vulnerability yeah and being open and being willing to listen and being willing to listen to things you don't even understand Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a, a, a little line at the end um or close to the end when ursula's made her resolve to go back to the jungle and to reunite with George Mm -hmm. and her father who clearly doesn't understand and doesn't quite like get, he doesn't get George. He doesn't, he, but he's like, you know what, this go for it. Just be careful, Mm -hmm. be safe out there. And he's like, so open to it in a way that like you see immediately contrasted in Holland Taylor, you know, her character. Yeah. Right. And she's like, I hate my life. I'm going to Boston to, excuse me, Cambridge to become a law professor. Oh my gosh, that's right. Oh my God, yeah. The legally blonde George of the Jungle universe, cinematic universe. She had a real hot streak there, yeah. Oh, for sure. Sarah Marshall, what would you say? So, I mean, something I've talked about on past episodes, and that's an enduring interest of mine with regards to cinema is love stories such as Titanic and Terminator 2 Judgment Day, who or no, Terminator 1, well, kind of both of them, <laughs> is that love and patriarchal reality are incompatible. Oh, and um, ah, the Michelle Pfeiffer one by Marty. Mm. The Age oh, of Innocence. Mm. Yeah, what if... <laughs> What do the Age of Innocence, Titanic, and the Terminator all have in common? They're all about how love and relationships under heteropatriarchal rule are fundamentally incompatible. Mm -hmm. And they solve this by having people fall in love and then be able to be together for 45 minutes. And this movie recognizes that problem and solves it by removing the man from heteropatriarchal society, (laughs) which allows him to just be innocent and free and beautiful and uncorrupted by toxic masculinity and it's a great answer to the question it's not actionable in real life unfortunately (laughs) but it's beautiful to see play out absolutely carolyn what do you think is the theme yeah i think the theme is that you have to look inwards to find what you find valuable in yourself and in a relationship. And there's always going to be societal pressures, Mm. especially from family constructs. And it takes a lot of courage to be able to take the leap. Mm. For sure. 
Great themes in this movie, gotta say. Great themes, yeah, absolutely. It's so beautiful. And the and the way too that building on that last one, that like there are sometimes ways that you're breaking free of your familial constructs, but you're also sometimes finding support within that where the, where it breaks, it grows back stronger. Is that it? Like it builds mm-hmm. back stronger at the break. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I think about the line from Ursula's father, and I think about mm-hmm. how supportive, honestly, how supportive Ape is the whole way through, mm-hmm. um, despite mm-hmm. bringing in somebody who he knows very little about uh, into into his life, into his treehouse. It's, yeah, it's really yeah. beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe let's do the daddy question. Yes. So we know that Leslie Mann has a dad who's who eventually redeems himself a little bit. She has a father. (laughs) But who is the daddy? Sarah Hubbard, what do you think? Oh, the daddy. I think the daddy is ape. Uh, oh, <laughs> that a, mine. Uh, I I just feel that it's so interesting to watch his relationship to George because although they establish that they are brothers, um, I, I guess yeah. as they've been raised, it does feel like a little bit paternal, and that mm-hmm. coming ape to George, um, he's constantly, and I maybe I say this as an only child, never having had siblings, but he's constantly trying to help. George in a way that doesn't feel kind of like toxic wingman. Mm. <laughs> it feels sincere and grounded in mm-hmm. in a real sweet uh, I don't know, in a, in a sweet familial grounding. Mm-hmm. It's grounded in grounding, guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I think it's ape for me. Definitely. I was going to say ape as well. Just thinking through the list of of everybody, I think that he definitely is the person who, other than George, is just like the most flat out accepting and also is obviously a great gardener and a great singer. And yeah, Frank Sinatra, watch out. So. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, for sure. Uh, So so I'm going to I'm going to say I'm going to say Ape as Mm. well. Sarah Marshall, what do you think? I'm going to say the narrator because I think he's Mm. so useful in sort of placing us in tone and then also. I loved as a kid and still love movies that in some way say nobody dies in this story. They just get really <laughs> big boo-boos. Like that's mm-hmm. a great and also like that's a great great tone to exist in. I love mm-hmm. I love high stakes stories and I also love zero stakes stories. Yeah. Um and yeah, I guess love that. I love that Disney like took a moment to be fun and frivolous and not even kill off any parents, incredibly. I know, yeah, something that they are pretty famous for, for real. Well, and the narrator is so great too. At um, like, there's like that line about "Don't fight with the narrator." Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, we haven't even touched on the iconic song. Oh yet. my god, uh, the iconic song. Oh, on yeah. George, I mean, George, George of the Jungle. A literal note to end on. Oh, see, and I was thinking of a different iconic song as well because there's two iconic oh. songs. That's right. There's that, and then there's like the love song. Oh, I've been waiting for you all my life. Which is also beautiful. Waiting for yeah. the miracle. Yeah. Yeah. Which is beautiful. <laughs> they play that twice too, right? Yeah. They play it at the wedding, and then, yeah. It's a good wedding song. If you have had that song in your wedding, let us know. <laughs> That is it for this week's episode of You Are Good. Thank you so much to Carolyn Kendrick for producing the episode. Thanks to Sarah Hubbard for joining us in this episode. We appreciate you, Sarah. 
Thank you to Fresh Lash for providing beats that make the episode sound so sweet. Thank you to Multitude for handling our ad sales. Thank you for listening. Thank you for following us on Instagram and Twitter at YouAreGoodPod. Join us next week for some uh, conversations about Superman with Fangirl Jean, the 1978 one, just so you know, in case you're in case you're going to follow along. And thank you again to Priya for getting in touch and letting us know how we can be a better show. You are good. Y'all are good. We appreciate you. Uh, take it easy out there.